All right, so if you would grab your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along. Uh, just going to be a short passage today, but ties to a bunch of stuff that's going on all throughout scriptures, uh, the scriptures. If you're not familiar with where Hebrews is, start in the back and start flipping forward. It's just a few books from the end. So this is at the very end of the New Testament or the, the second portion of the Bible that you hold in your hands. Um, we're wrapping up today this short practice series on Sabbath, and so we've been going through for four weeks. I've been uh, really, really thankful for uh, both Rabbi Ted and Pastor King uh, last week and the week before uh, speaking into the series. I love it with practice series, especially when there are different voices that come in, because the way that we practice faith, the way that we uh, actively step into these things are, are so much... Uh, influenced by our, our personality and our background and just the way that we see the world. So with both, uh, both of them over the last couple of weeks, there were things that I heard that I just thought, huh, I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. But it's so helpful to see from different perspectives. And so my goal today is going to be to kind of wrap that up, pull all the loose ends together, and hopefully lead us into uh, not a completion of the Sabbath practice, but an ongoing practice of Sabbath. So um, going into that, uh, I'm take a little bit of a risk. I'm gonna ask you to, to, like, no judgment. It's totally fine. We're just, like, we're all friends here. It's all, it's all fine. But if you in the past, say, uh, several weeks or even this year have attempted to step into the Sabbath discipline uh, in a small way or a large way, would you just raise your hand if you've tried Sabbath in a different way? All right, so there's a chunk of you. Good, okay, that's great. Okay, now I'm gonna ask a related question. If you tried and you've failed at it, would you also raise your hand? So most everybody who raised their hand the first time also raised their hand the second time, okay? So, so and, and here, here's what I want you to hear. That's fine. That's, that's the way it works. This is not we're, not, we're not doing the perfection of Sabbath. We're doing the practice of Sabbath, right? So it's going to be things that we're continually working out. Um, it's, it's strange that something as fundamental as rest requires so much work to be good at, right? It's kind of bizarre that way. Uh, but that's the way it goes, uh, truly. It's uh, something that uh, you, will, you will find that you get better at over time. And most of us find does not come naturally in the culture that we live in. And so uh, that's why we're walking through this and, uh, and moving toward this. So today what I'm hoping to do is give you a little bit of freedom to fail in the process. You're, you're going to continue to do that, and that's okay. Uh, but hopefully give you a, a theological framework for why it is that we do what we do and uh, kind of why we continue to try as we, as we continue to do it and fail at it, as we struggle at it. Why do we, we, why do we continue at it? Uh, and that's going to bring us to Hebrews chapter 4. So we're going to listen to verses 9 through 11, which is kind of a, an excerpt out of the middle of a longer argument that the writer of the Hebrews is making, uh, but one I think will help us as we step into Sabbath. So listen as Ethan comes to read Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his own. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we bring our hearts 
our minds and our spirits to your word? Would you speak to us? We want to step into all that you have for us, the, the fullness of life, the abundant life. And so God, we know that that will only happen through your word and your truth. So would you guard us and guide us as you lead us into all truth? Would you guard my words that they would come from your spirit alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, they would penetrate our hearts, they'd find fertile soil and grow up and bear fruit. And so God, do your work, I pray. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in that short little passage, again, kind of an excerpt out of a longer passage, we'll talk about that in just a minute, Uh, there's a couple key things that we're called to remember. Sabbath is a remembrance in a lot of ways, and uh, there's three that I want to look at today. So the first thing I want us to remember is that we're human, and that should uh, maybe not be that big of a surprise to you, but uh, it's a good thing for us to remember that we're human, we're created. So we remember that we're human. Sabbath helps us to remember that we're not God. That he's God and we're not. And Sabbath is a reminder of that. And then finally, Sabbath is a reminder that the work is finished. So uh, we're going to remember that we're human, that we're not God, and that the work is finished. So as you look at verse 9, let's start there. Uh, It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a calling to Sabbath for the people of God. Um, I, I know this is the middle of July. I know it's hot and human, and awful from my perspective. Some of you like it like this. You're crazy, but that's fine. Whatever. Um, So we're going to do a a thought exercise. If for nothing else, then it's the way that I try to soothe myself through this time. So I I want you to imagine the middle of January. I want you to imagine that it's cold, and it's been like highs maybe reaching 30 during the days, and like several days in a row, and it's been going down to the teens at night. That's what heaven sounds like to me, by the way, but I I know that's not all of you. So just just imagine that. So imagine it's been a couple days like that, and you watch the news, and you see a nor'easter coming up the coast, and you see projections of eight inches of snow, 12 inches of snow, 16 inches of snow, some outliers at you know, 24 to 36 where I'm like dancing around, right? So, so when you see that, a thought exercise, a thought experiment, when you see that, uh, give me just some one word responses as to what you feel. Yay, what, yeah? There was a, who, who else, what'd you say over here? Excited, excited, pumped, yeah, good, anything else? The, those of you who say that you're upset about it are not welcome here. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's fine. Yeah. So, so there's this thing that happens in us when, uh, when snow's coming. And, and some of it is because some of us like snow, but some of it is because um, we recognize if, if like 14 inches lands in York, Pennsylvania over the course of 24 hours, things are going to slow down a little bit, right? Like, I, I, this could be me just being older and grumpier, which is actually entirely possible. Uh, but it seems to me that we cancel things a lot faster than we used to. Has anybody noticed that? Like, when I was growing up, I grew up in the snow belt, so maybe we were a little tougher than some of y'all, but um, it, we, it seemed like we canceled school like once every two or three years. Like, it just didn't happen that often. And now it seems like, like not just school, but like church and a variety of other things get canceled really quickly. Ever ask why that is? Do you think it's because we all need a break, including 
the superintendents and the pastors who are making the calls? Like, uh, when there's an opportunity, how many times, uh, this has happened several times over the last 10 or 12 years since I've been making these calls, where you, you make the decision, we're going to cancel, and then you look outside and you're like, it looks like July. Like, what just happened, right? And sometimes that's because the weather people do not earn their money all the time, right? But it, there's the, the, we, we tend to make the call pretty quickly these days. And I think it's because we all intuitively long for rest. What would you do if I told you that God actually desires for you to have a snow day every week. And most of those snow days have actually good weather to go with them. Like, how great is that? Like, that, that's actually the way that God's designed it. For all of the responsibilities and all of the stuff to drop off for 24 hours out of every week. For there to be that kind of a pause. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching on Sabbath. We've looked at it a couple times over the last couple weeks, so I'm not going to read it specifically. You can go back and look at that story more in depth. But Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, and he makes a a two-part statement. He says to them that, it's a little tongue twister, so let me just make sure that I'm reading it right. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So that's the way Jesus said it. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, he's, re- he's responding to the Pharisees, uh, the teachers of the law, who were the guardians of the specific rules of Sabbath. So they had kind of set a way that Sabbath was supposed to be practiced. And the second part of that statement, um, that man is not made to serve the Sabbath, was what they needed to hear. What he was saying to them is, the point of man is not to follow the Sabbath regulations. And if you grew up in more of a a fundamentalist or legalistic background where the Sabbath was all about what you weren't allowed to do and the way specifically that you had to practice, you need to hear that as well. That um, man was not made to serve the Sabbath. But I think if Jesus was here with us today, he may say the exact same phrase but he would emphasize a different part of it. Because for us, I think what most of us need to hear is that Sabbath was made for man. We're not in danger, most of us, of being too legalistic or too rigid about the way that we see the Sabbath. We're in danger of ignoring it altogether. We're in danger of uh, of just moving on because we glorify a 24-7, 365 kind of lifestyle. We glorify a work harder, and the idea of rest is for the weak. We're just going to keep going. Where in reality, it's not only okay, but necessary that we admit that we need a break. Like, we are designed to need a rest. If you get to the end of a week and you're exhausted, that's because it's the way it's supposed to be. Like God made you that way. And this is not just a spiritual thing, and I think that's one of the misconceptions of Sabbath is that this is a spiritual rhythm alone. It is certainly a spiritual rhythm. But this is a a physical and mental and emotional break as well. We are whole beings, and we bring the totality of ourselves before God. So uh, there's this great story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19, If you're familiar with that section of scripture, I'm not going to read it. You can go back and look at it on your own. I'll just give you a summary. But 1 Kings 18 may be the section that you're most familiar with. That's the prophet Elijah who's having this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. They're up on Mount Carmel, and they're uh, they're calling on their gods to, to bring down fire on the altar. 
And if you know that story, the God of the universe, as Elijah cries out to him, sends down fire. And as he sends down fire, consumes the altar. And there's the slaughter of the prophets of Baal and this great victory of God. Well, right after that, Queen Jezebel, who's tied to the prophets of Baal, um, let's just say is not impressed. She was, she was not swayed by the fire. And so she's, she's coming after Elijah. So she's chasing Elijah. Elijah's off on the run. And we find in 1 Kings 19, Elijah's running from Jezebel, and he runs into the wilderness, and he, we find him kind of at the base of this broom tree, and he cries out before God. And it's a, a cry that a lot of us, honestly, uh, have found ourselves at at various times at the end of any given week, which is basically like, God, I'm done. Like, I'm exhausted. I'm shot. In fact, Elijah goes so far as to say, why don't you just take my life? Like from a clinical perspective, Elijah seems to be depressed and suicidal. Elijah is at the end, uh, not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally and mentally. He's just shot. And so he cries out to God, God, I'm done. Why don't you just take my life? And then he goes to sleep. And an angel of the Lord shows up. And when the angel of the Lord wakes up Elijah, his response is so different than what my response would be through my 21st century North American lens. Like, I would expect the angel of the Lord to to shake Elijah and wake him up and say, dude, like, are you serious? He just sent down fire from heaven. He just destroyed all the prophets of Baal. Like, Buck up, chump. Like, let's go. Like, this is, you, you can push into this. Like, don't you see that God's doing all of this work? Like, get moving. But that's not what he says. The angel of the Lord shows up to Elijah, and he says, here's some food, and here's some water. You need to eat, you need to drink, and then you need to go back to sleep. And so he does. And then a little bit later, the angel wakes him up again, and he says, you need to eat, and you need to sleep, or drink, and then you need to go back to sleep. And then when he wakes him up again, Elijah's ready and goes for a walk. But if you uh, read that and you're not aware of the geography of that area, it looks like a lot of work. Elijah goes for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. But What theologians tell us is that 40-day journey from where he was to where he was going uh, should have been at a relatively leisurely pace about an 11-day journey, and he took 40 days to do it. So I have a friend who likes to tell me that uh, he uh, he shoved his four-year degree into 25 years. Maybe you've been in that kind of process. That's kind of what Elijah's doing. He's in the saunter. He's just like, He's looking at the flowers, kind of coming along, stopping as he wants to. Like, this is not a rush. Elijah is wiped out. And God's prescription is not push harder, not be more spiritual, not like press into the power of the Spirit. God's prescription is eat, rest, sleep, take your time and breathe. It'll be okay. Like for some of us, when we show up to Sabbath, what we need is a burger and a nap, and that's what we need, and that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with a burger and a nap. In fact, I'm a proponent of a burger and a nap. There's nothing wrong with that. We we need to show up to God as whole beings. It's kind of silly that we don't, right? Because God 
knows all about us anyway. So when we show up spiritually to Sabbath, ready to be spiritually recharged and ready to go, but we know that we're mentally all kind of strung out and emotionally we're just worn and physically we're exhausted, like God knows all of that stuff. And so if we don't show up as full beings before God, we miss what he has for us in Sabbath. Sabbath is intended to remind us that we're human. We don't plug in and get recharged. We're human. And God desires for us to be fully ministered to. As a pastor, one of the things I find, it's one of those things I don't say out loud. I think a lot, but I don't say out loud. Um, I often come to Sabbath with this deep longing that I would be omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Now, I don't say that because that sounds, that sounds terribly uh, just like, you know, a savior complex or something. But the reality is, for a pastor, if, if you need something, my desire is to be present for you, to know the answer to the question you have, and have the power to solve whatever problem you're bringing. And what I find is, if I insist on trying to be omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, there is no room left for God. And that's not just a pastor thing. Like, for you moms, what more do you want with your kids than to be those three things? Like, you want to be there if they need you. You want to solve the problems that they have. You want to know the answers to the questions that they bring to you. But when we insist on acting like we're God... We don't save room for him. Sabbath reminds us that we're human. I don't have all the answers. I can't always be there. I don't have the power to fix it. But God does. And Sabbath brings us back to that reality. Sabbath reminds us that we're human. Sabbath also reminds us that we're not God. Now, those are kind of corollary, but let me read for you this next uh, verse in verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we're human, but we're called to imitate God in the work that he did. So God worked and then rested, and that's the model for us to also work and then rest and then to work out of the rest that God gives to us. So we're called to imitate him, but we're called to imitate him not as God, but as humans, as those who have uh, been created. Um, the, the, one of the reasons why many of us don't Sabbath is because we've convinced ourselves that we're too important. Like, I, I, I know that we're all supposed to Sabbath, but I can't Sabbath because unique among all of you, the world depends on me to make it spin, right? So, uh, so I know that you guys have stuff, but God calls you to take a break. But if I would take a break, like things would fall apart. Like my goodness, I couldn't possibly, we convince ourselves of this. And so whether it's because you're in a specific position where you feel like um, if, I, if I stop being connected to my company or acting within the role that I have, or maybe within uh, the role that you have as a parent or as part of your family or within your community or whatever that thing is, like if I stop, my kid is not gonna get the D1 scholarship. Like I'm pushing and I need to make sure that he shows up for baseball practice or she goes to gymnastics or whatever the thing is because I need to make sure the scholarship's coming. Or um, like if I, if I don't get the house clean today, I am not going to be stewarding what God's given to me. I am really important. And if I don't get this taken care of, it's not going to happen. Like nobody else is cleaning the house. I guess I'm going to have to do it, right? Like this is the process that we think through. And the reason we don't Sabbath is because we believe that it actually depends on us. 
we believe that within the entire scope of the universe, if I don't do this thing that I'm supposed to do, everything's going to fall apart. At the heart, Sabbath is an act of trust in the God who is actually God, reminding us that we are not him. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, which is an excellent volume on Sabbath, if you want to look at this uh, very holistically, he does a great job with it. Uh, Buchanan says this, Sabbath is about trust. Sabbath is turning over to God all of those things, our money, our work, our status, our reputations, our plans, our projects, that we're otherwise tempted to hold tight in our own closed fists, to hold on for dear life. On the Sabbath, we release the illusion of control to God. The illusion of control is what Sabbath is intended to unmask. Like, we, we actually do think we're that important. And Sabbath, once a week, should remind us, actually, we're not in control. And we never have been. Actually, God is handling this. And very capable of it, by the way. Far more than I am. I think one of the most fascinating prayers that Jesus prayed, he prayed some really interesting things and said some really fascinating things, but in John chapter 17, at the very end of Jesus' life, right before his arrest, Jesus is praying to the Father, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, Jesus, Jesus says this, Father, I have completed everything you've given me to do. I've finished the work you've given me to do. I just imagine that. Now here's Jesus, uh, what we now say as first century Rome, in the midst of an oppressive empire, there's injustice everywhere. I mean, it's, it's a mess. There's all kinds of problems going on in the Roman Empire. And he's got these 12 guys who he's uh, discipled-ish over the last three, three years, but they're still like way off. Like in just a minute, Peter is going to like slice off a dude's ear. So first of all, he needs to understand theory, but he also needs some sword work Jesus should be doing with him. I think like, if you're, like he probably wasn't aiming for the ear, right? Like it, there's stuff that Jesus should be doing. Like Jesus is, is, there's an awful lot still out there. And yet Jesus prays, Father, I've done everything you've called me to do. Sabbath is a great time for us to recognize there's really good, important work in the world, and we are not called to all of it. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should be lazy and that we should not be called to some of it. There's some things that we are called into, but we're not called to fix the world. We're not called to save the world. In fact, Jesus has already done that. And so for us, we're called to step back and remember he's God and we're not. And so even in the midst of really important, really significant things, we can stop and remember that he's God. Sabbath reminds us that we're human. Sabbath reminds us that we're not God. But then finally, Sabbath reminds us that the work is finished. Look at verse 11. The writer says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now that's a little tricky because, as I said, we're kind of in the middle of this long narration, and so there's something being referenced in here. So if you go back and read uh, all of Hebrews chapter 3 into Hebrews chapter 4, 
the writer's referencing back to the, uh, the ancient Israelites wandering in the wilderness, actually the very section of scripture we've been studying in the book of Exodus. So this, uh, th- this wandering that's happening, and as they wander, uh, the different kinds of disobedience that, uh, that they do. So if you remember what happened as Israel came out of Egypt and was redeemed from Egypt, they made a declaration that they would follow after God. They'd be devoted to him as his people. And then they started to wander in the desert. And as they wandered in the desert, they were very devoted to God until they got thirsty, right? And then they weren't so much. And then they were really devoted to God after they got some water until they got hungry. And then they weren't so much, right? And they went through this this cycle where every time it got difficult, their resolve broke. Like they just, they couldn't do it anymore. And so what the writer is saying is, um, if, if we don't enter into the rest that we've been given, we will fall by the same sort of disobedience. What sort of disobedience? Well, the sort of disobedience that says, God, I am all in on Sunday morning. God, I come to the altar and I am, I'm here and I'm devoting myself. I'm in, I'm completely in until Tuesday when things get hard or Sunday afternoon when things get hard, depending on your life. And when things get hard, our resolve starts to break. Why? Well, because we're human and we're not God, right? Like that's what we've already looked through. So what the writer is saying is that the Sabbath rest is indeed a day out of every week where we pause. But that day out of every week is actually pointing to something much larger, And that's this, that Jesus has already done the work of obedience on our behalf. That he has fulfilled the law. That that he has justified us. And so if we strive to enter that rest, we won't fall by that same sort of disobedience because we'll recognize we can't do it. See, the, the The writer of the Hebrews is saying that the work has been completed by Jesus, and if you insist on continuing to try to do the work, you're going to exhaust yourself. The Sabbath rest that has been bought by Jesus for the people of God is not just the right to take 24 hours every week to pause and rest. The Sabbath rest that has been bought for the people of God is that we would recognize we cannot do it ourselves. We're not capable of it. But we have been invited in. Sabbath rest means, whether it's on your Sabbath day or at any other point during your week, during your lifetime, you can come boldly into the presence of God knowing that he's already made a way for you. He's done all of the work. And so when we understand that the work has already been completed, now we're able to rest because the work is already done. So Sabbath rest is intended to be a spirit, a Sabbath spirit by which we engage all of life and a a 24-hour period where we remember that that's true. That's why it's such a a silly argument around whether it's old covenant or new covenant or whether it's legalistic to to follow a Sabbath one way or another. Like uh, the, the whole point of that is the law has been completed on your behalf. Which is why when you raised your hand and said, I failed at doing Sabbath, no, no, there, no lightning came down from heaven. Like, it's fine. Like, you're going to continue to fail at it. It's all good. You know why? Jesus has already kept the Sabbath perfectly on your behalf. He's followed every law perfectly on your behalf. 
He has loved people perfectly on your behalf. And now we simply enter in to the rest that he's called us into. So, is Sabbath a 24-hour period within a seven-day week where we cease from our work and live in a different way? Or is Sabbath a spirit by which we approach all of life, not just those 24 hours? And the answer is yes. And has to be both, I would argue. I would, I would argue it becomes almost impossible to experience the, the spirit of Sabbath if you don't and I don't stop and remember that we're human and not God. If we don't pause during that Sabbath period, and I would argue that 24-hour period, while it's not magic, is set up by God for a purpose, that 24-hour period every seven days uh, that we would stop, that when we practice the act of Sabbath, the day of Sabbath, we begin to learn the heart of Sabbath, the spirit of Sabbath. And through doing one, we begin to engage the world in the other. The practices, whether it be Sabbath keeping or fasting or prayer or Bible reading or community, they're intended to operate in cycle, not just once. Your goal is not to get a perfect 24-hour Sabbath and then check it off the list and move on to the next thing. Sabbath is a regular time that you come back to week in and week out because it's a reminder of the work that God's done. That reminder is a regular callback to the finished work of Jesus, which is why we regularly come back to the communion meal. It's why we regularly gather as the people of God to celebrate. It's why we regularly pray together. It's why we regularly gather in community because there are all of these things that we could so easily forget. But the practices, they, they bend our, our whole bodies, our spirits, our minds, and our, our physical bodies back into the shape of the cross. They remind us. And so as we come to the communion meal, we come remembering the heart of Sabbath, that the law has been kept on our behalf. We come back to the communion table and we remember it's not through our strength because the body of Jesus has been broken. It's not through our uh, willpower to stay away from sin because the blood of Christ has been poured out to cover over every sin. We come back and we remember that the work has been done. And so we can rest because he's already done the work on our behalf.